The last couple of weeks, uh, as you know, uh, Tony Simon was here two weeks ago, and Shantani was here for Mother's Day, had a great time. And so uh, having a couple Sundays off, there's, there's still stuff brewing on the inside of me, you know? Um, and um, and we'll get to that. Thank you for coming today. On the back of your programs, there's an outline with uh, the Bible verses, and we just encourage you to track with us and fill in those blanks. It reinforces uh, what you're hearing. And our prayer is that we would all apply it to our lives. If you go to Brazil, there's a common plant which forest dwellers call the matador. Or the nickname is called murderer. It's a slender stem that creeps along the ground. And when it finds a vigorous, healthy tree, it sends out an entangling tentacle. Which cleaves to the base of the tree and then eventually starts climbing up the tree from the trunk up. At intervals along the way, there's thread-like twines that further entangle that particular tree. And as the murderer ascends, these twines grow larger and their grip becomes stronger and tighter. And up that tree, that vine climbs until at last it reaches the top of the tree. And it squeezes tight. And it prevents the nutrients from the ground to get up to the top. And so the death of the tree begins on top. And this matador in triumph uh, has a flowery head on the crown of that tree. And it scatters its seed to the ground where it begins all over again. That seed takes root and it moves on to the next tree. It has a job description of killing, of squeezing. And I don't know about you, but if you let your imagination go, which I did, I thought of the boa constrictor. Kind of same. It doesn't climb up trees, you know, to kill it. But it, for the predators, it, it, it goes after a predator and wraps itself around it and squeezes tight to prevent the predator from getting away. And kills it. Well, the last couple weeks, I've been in a I've been in a battle uh, in my backyard. Um, In fact, just reading the Bible uh, the last few weeks, there seems to be a common theme, and that is we are we are in a battle spiritually. And so, uh, even in my backyard, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that there's a battle in my backyard with nature, and there's a battle that rages physically, and there's a battle that rages spiritually for each one of us. Isn't that right? Sometimes we forget that. But I planted a a flowering crab last summer, and um, um, put a a guard around the the base because we have rabbits. Uh, You've brought your rabbits, dropped them off in my front yard because you didn't like them, and they're all hanging around my neighborhood. I don't know what's happened, but we just have an abundance of rabbits all of a sudden. And they're destroying on the, my lot line, all my evergreens from the bottom up, you know, as far, far as they can, can reach. They're, they're chewing the life out of everything. 
when I had seen that they started on the flowering crab. So I put that protection around the base, and then I even put a fence with barbed wire. No, not barbed wire. Not that bad, but... So I thought I was good, and, and so, you know, as you know, the middle of January, that's when winter decided to show up, and it snowed and snowed all the way through March. What, what that gave the uh, rabbit uh, the ability to, to reach over the fence, because, you know, my little fence around the tree, because, you know, the snow, they got on top of the snow, and they just had easy access to that young flowering crab. I didn't realize it till. You know, the snow was melting. I went out there, and I couldn't believe my eyes. They chewed two-thirds around that flowering crab tree. And I thought, you know, is this thing going to survive? And I did some research, and I found out that if a rabbit chews all the way around the base, it will kill the tree. The reason being the nutrients from the ground up can't get to the top of the tree. Fortunately, they got two-thirds of the way. And so... It's a reminder to me that, you know, I, there's a battle going on, you know? And I'm wondering, the matador in Brazil and the rabbits in southwest Wisconsin, are you dealing with the tentacles of, of rabbits and, and these vines that are squeezing the life out of you? Specifically, squeezing the spiritual life out of you. And I pray not. In 2 Corinthians 6, 3, I've been going through the Bible and uh, through the book of Corinthians lately, and, and, and in the Old Testament likewise, it just seems like this theme of, of a battle, of warfare. And, um, and I'm reminded and have been reminded, and I'll get to that in a minute, that in our culture today, there is definite warfare and battles raging. But Paul writes to Corinth here, and he says, I, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. We kind of hit that with the parents recently. No one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind, We've been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. How many of you would, would want to live a life like that? Well, Paul's a follower of Christ. See, if you think you put your faith in Christ and you're on easy street, listen to me, it takes a real man and woman to choose to live for Christ. It does. Just look at what Paul went through here. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness. And this is what jumped out at me. I've read this before. This is what jumped out. We use the weapons of righteousness in our right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. What does that say? He's in a battle. You and I are in a battle. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We've been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. 
We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. How many of you would sign up for a life like that? Yep, that's me, man. I want that. What Paul has, whoo, I want to get beat. I want to get betrayed. I want to get stoned by stones. Yeah, that's the real world. So what I've been looking at in our world, following what the matadors in Brazil, this article is from uh, the 9th of May. Chinese officials warn Christianity is enormous harm to society. I don't know if you're tracking what's going on in China right now. But the government, the Chinese government, they're, they're going after Christians big time. They're, they're tearing churches down. They're tearing crosses off steeples. They're monitoring Christian activity. Recently, one of uh, a government official spoke at a Christian university. At the commencement ceremony... And he warned graduating seniors that they needed to prepare for persecution. Some of the loudest voices for tolerance today, he said, have little tolerance for traditional Christian beliefs. So as you go about your daily life, just be ready for persecution. Throughout most of American history, it's been pretty easy to call yourself a Christian. It didn't even occur to people that you might be shunned or ridiculed for defending the teachings of the Bible. And then there was a shooting in a high school just outside of Denver a couple weeks ago. The shooter came into the high school on his car. He had multiple satanic symbols spray-painted on the body of his car, including 666 and a pentagram. And he said, you know what I hate? I hate Christians. Our good friend Disney just came out with a film for the life of J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, the dude that put together Lord of the Rings, which I own. It's good, man. It's good. Good series. You may not know it, but Tolkien was a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, you know what they did in his life story in Disney? They washed out all of his faith in Christ in the movie. You'd never know it. And then, last week, a couple years ago, I talked about a professional athlete who was a follower of Christ and um, how he lived the faith and his faith in the public arena. Well, he and his wife have been married since 2005, and they wrote a, a book together. They, were, they would travel speaking about their faith. But this man filed for legal separation from his wife, alleging she has been guilty of inappropriate marital conduct. I think that's pretty clear what's going on there. He's being gracious to his wife. And we could go on and on. What's going on? Friend, you need to realize the day that you and I are living in, these are not days 
to be playing games with your life. These are not days to flirt with Christ, you know, where you put him on and you take him off. No. No, it's time that you follow Jesus, though none go with me. And so, the book of Ephesians, we continue this series, and on the back of your program, you can follow along. This is where we're going to camp out. Ephesians 5, 1 through 7. Paul is writing, verse 1, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. And Lord, we thank you for your word. That is so relevant for 2019. The first half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, we hit that last fall, but reminded of the simple fact, Paul built a foundation on how much God loves you and me and how great God is, how big and powerful he is. And then he transitions in chapter 4 to the end of the book. He's going to be talking about how that should impact how you and I live our lives. After knowing what God has done for us, we should allow that knowledge of who God is and that relationship with him to motivate us to model his life and character. So, today we are looking in chapter 5. We've broken new ground here. First of all, the word integrity, purity, fidelity, monogamy. Those are all words that do not belong in a museum. Our culture would say they do. But these words are what God wants you to exhibit and to model in all of your relationships. And we're going to talk about that these next few moments. Number one, imitate God because I'm loved. Imitate God because I'm loved. Verse one, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. What does God want from his church? He tells us right in verse 1, he wants you and I to imitate him. That word you, in everything you do, it's plural in the original language. It means for the body of Christ corporately. So you can't sit there and think, well, he's talking about somebody else. He's not talking to me. He's talking to you. You are plural. And Paul is saying God's, Desire 
And his will for your life is that you would imitate the life of Christ. That's what he wants. And that word therefore, anytime imitate God therefore, anytime that word therefore shows up, theologians say, always ask the question, why is it there for? And it simply means you need to go back to what was just studied to tie it in with what was, what was just read. And so what Paul is doing here in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, he's building chapter 5 off of this, where he says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Notice, not deception, not lies, but the truth. Throw off your old sinful nature in your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We are to be like Christ. And Ephesians tells us we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to believe who we are in Christ. And we need to live who we are in Christ through his power and strength. That's what Paul is saying here. Now that word imitate, um, it's the same word where we get our English word mimic. Or you could say the word mime, you know, where... Mimic means to copy closely, to repeat another person's speech, actions, or behavior. And that's what we're to do in our relationship with the Lord. We're to mimic and we're to imitate the character of Christ in everything that we do. Um, John seventeen twenty three, uh, John echoes this, I am in them and you are in me. Jesus talking to the Father. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them, that's us, as much as you love me. That's Jesus talking. What does that say? God loves you as much as he loves his own son. Can you comprehend that? You would say, that's impossible. No, it isn't, because Jesus just said, God the Father loves you as much as he loves me, the son. Isn't that incredible? Quite honestly, friends, somebody should be doing some shouting right there. Huh? True. It's true. I'd say, holy smoke! But here's the deal. Not every person is a child of God. You know, in our culture, you know, it's easy to say, we're all children of God. Listen to me. You are not a child of God until you put your faith in Christ. You have that freedom, that choice. We talked about that earlier. You have to choose to put your faith in Christ. You have to do it. Not your parents. Not your grandma. You have to choose it. Jesus, you died for me. I recognize that I'm a sinner. Sin will keep me away from a holy God. Forgive me. And I invite you to be my spiritual leader. I put all my faith and trust in you, Jesus. You took my place on the cross. You paid for my sin debt in full. Boom. Until that happens, you're not a child of God. So, John 1, 12, But to all who believed him, 
believed him, believed Jesus, put all their faith and trust in him, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave you the right to become a child of God. Isn't that cool? In John 1 John 3, 1, see how much our Father loves us, and he calls us his children, and that is what we are. You want to know something? When our oldest, Bo, firstborn, was born, the minute he was born... I was I, I had a I had a camera with an auto speed. This goes back in the day, you know, where you it rewinded, you know, the film, film. Great Scott! So, boom, 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 as he's coming out, and I got the mask on, and it, and the camera's steaming up because it's like. And when he was born, it's like, I love you. A little bit. No, no. The minute he was born, I loved him to the max. And all he could do was cry. And he didn't give me a check for $1,000 to buy diapers for the first year. I love you. I loved him because he was my son. He didn't have to do anything. You know what was crazy? Because I loved him with everything I had. When our next born Chad was born, the same thing happened. The minute he was born, I loved him. The minute he was born. And where did that love come from? I thought I was maxed out. You see how that works? That is a demonstration of God the Father with seven and a half billion people on this planet right now. He loves you. The minute he formed you, he loved you to the max. He can't love you anymore. And God doesn't say, I'm empty. You know, there's too many people I have to... No, no, he is love. That source never runs out. Man. And that is a model, friend, of how much God loves you. And so, number two, live like Christ. Look at verse two. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. God proved his love for you by sending his one and only son to die on the cross for your sin and my sin. That's how we know he loves us. And you know what? You can't imitate somebody you don't know. Going back to verse 1, you cannot imitate somebody you don't know. A couple weeks ago, I watched the movie, Somebody Up There Likes Me, and it was a, the life story of middleweight boxing legend Rocky Graziano. Rocky wasn't his name. Thomas Barbella was. His father was an alcohol and alcoholic and beat him as a boy. And Rocky went into a life of crime. That's why he changed his name when he became a boxer. Anyway, Paul Newman played Rocky Garziano, and you know what he did for the movie? He spent considerable amount of time with Rocky in preparation for the film for Rocky's life story. He studied his mannerisms, his speech patterns, and the boxer's fidgety movements. Why? Because he was imitating Rocky via film. He had to spend time with Rocky to model him, to imitate him. 
That's what Paul's talking about here. Live like Christ. You have to know him. You have to spend time with him to model him. If you don't, you won't. You won't know who Christ is. You'll just get what our culture says God is. What was that question Dr. Schweitzer was asked about raising children? It's not a trick question here, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. By example, Paul's saying the same thing, isn't he? By example, we have to know him to be the example that we need to be. Subpoint one, he loved me. Yeah. When Shantani last Sunday was talking about our identity, point number one, I was sitting right here. And when she was talking about how much God loves us, I can tell you personally, man, it was like God sat down next to me, put, put his arm around me and said, Bob, I love you. You know, it just was so real when she was talking about it. And you and I have to come to that place in our life where we, too, will allow God to love us. He loved me. He loved me. 1 John 2.6 reinforces those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Are you good with that? Everybody on board with that? Hmm? Now there's pushback. I get it. I get it. I, I'll do so much, but I'm not going to do everything he wants me to do. I get that. God will give you permission to reject him. Number two, he offered his life for me. Verse 2b. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The cross smelled good to God. You know why? Because that was a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. And God wants you and I to be with him forever in heaven. That's what he wants. And so, um, once again, because God loves us, um, that should help you and I, to live our lives in a way that's honoring to him. So, so Paul, in these first couple of verses, he, he's building a foundation, first of all, reminding you and I how much you are loved. You are dearly loved children. You are dearly loved. And he, and he spends two verses on that. Why? Because now he transitions to verse 3. And it's going to get a little, little rough. There's going to be some some waves coming in, and, and Paul's aware of that, and that's why he built this foundation in points one and two. So number three, live pure, live pure. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. I've seen stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Paul is saying, I want you as a follower of Jesus Christ to be a conduit of God's love to the people that God brings into your life. Now, the word sexual immorality uh, literally means, uh, in the Greek, it's porneia. And that's where we get our word, pornography. In the Greek, it's not just stuck on pornography, but it is, 
a broad word for sexual misconduct. It's kind of like a junk drawer that covers every sexual expression outside of marriage. It's premarital sex, it's extramarital sex. That's what Paul's talking about. One writer says it refers to all that works against a lifelong union of, of a man and a woman in marriage. Now Paul, when he's talking about sex, first of all, we need to be reminded that Satan is not the one who gave us sex, intimacy, sexual intimacy. You would think he's got a corner on it, but he is warping what sexual intimacy is all about. It is God, God, God who created you, gave a gift of sexual intimacy to a husband and a wife when they were married. A gift. It's a gift. And he knows what happens when you take that gift outside of the boundaries of marriage. Samson and the pirate monks. Nate Larkin. Grew up in the church. His dad was a pastor. Did not learn to control his sexual desires. And he brought it into adulthood. And one night, his wife, Allie, says, caught me looking at pornography on my computer, and she cried. A few days later, she found a condom I had inadvertently dropped in the bathroom. This time, she didn't cry. Instead, she sat down beside me in the bathroom, showed me the condom, and said calmly that she would not allow herself to be hurt anymore. She cared about me as a person, but she no longer trusted me, did not respect me, and to be honest, didn't like me very much. From now on, we would live separate lives. We could stay married, but she wasn't leaving, but she would be finding her own friends and making her own decisions. I was on my own. She hoped I would find help, but she doubted I had the humility to accept help from anyone. She was sorry I had decided to walk away from her. She thought my decision was a crazy one, but she wasn't going to fight it anymore. That was it. Allie had given me the gift of desperation. The very next day, I started looking for someone to talk to to get help. This time, I was ready. Really ready. And this time, by God's grace, I found the right guy. You see, that goes on, friends. This dude's a Christian. Paul's talking to this dude. He's talking to all of us in this room. Who are we kidding? You know? We live in a real world with real problems. And that's why God put boundaries around sexual intimacy because of Allie, the pain that she experienced with her husband here. Does God get excited when we break the boundary lines? No. Satan rejoices. Yes, he does. And so, Paul, writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5, 2, treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. What Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you want to be a man of God and you want to model the character of Christ. When you're in a dating relationship... You need to treat that girl, that woman, as she would be your own sister. Don't take advantage of her, Timothy. Our culture is very good at doing that, by the way. 
Timothy, when you look at that woman, consider her a sister. That'll impact how you treat her sexually. And greed, the word greed here in the text, coveting someone else's body for selfish gratification. That's pretty accurate in our culture today. You know, meet my sex needs. You know, you're an object. You meet my sex needs. I need my needs to be met. Paul says in verse 3b, such sins have no place among God's people. No place. The NIV says there should be no hint of that going on in your life. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. we, We could go a little deeper here. Paul is talking about the outward expressions of those sins. He names them as sins. But Jesus took it even to a higher level when he said in Matthew 5, if you even think about having sex with a woman, you've committed adultery. You've committed the act with her. You're guilty. Boom. So it's not just the outward expression. It's what's going on in your head, man. Your thoughts. What you think about. The music you listen to with the lyrics, man. The stuff you watch on media. That fuels the fire. So Paul is saying there shouldn't be a hint. God's people, such sins have no place among God's people. That means holy ones. As God's people, you are considered holy in the eyes of God. Today, on your way out, if we took a vote, how many of you would want to rob a bank on Sunday because nobody's there? That would be pretty easy, right? How many of us would vote Let's go rob a bank. I don't see any hands. Well, we could be thinking it though, right? (laughs) So why don't we? Because it's against the law. God said do not steal, and we use that okay. But why is it when it comes to morality, we ignore God's boundaries freely? We ignore them. We pretend they're not there because what I want is more important than what God desires for me. See? That's idolatry. You're displacing God for what you want. And so, Andy Stanley, pastor's one of the largest churches in America, he says, Over 30% of the couples that come to us for premarital counseling are already living together. Of the remaining 70%, most are already involved sexually. You might assume couples who are living and sleeping together have worked through the sexual challenges created by their sexual histories. Not so. In fact, many couples use their time in our premarriage course to air their frustrations and concerns regarding those very issues. Sexual involvement early in a relationship masks relational issues, but eventually they surface and often diminish or kill sexual passion. 
Relationship problems have a way of doing that. Without warning, a couple whose sexual chemistry drove the relationship forward find themselves drifting listlessly. Before long, they start looking for somebody to blame. They rarely look in the mirror. For this reason, we require couples involved in sexual, sexually to curtail their sleeping together during premarital counseling. Those living together, we ask to separate until after the wedding. Hitting the pause button sexually makes it easier to surface and talk about relational challenges hovering below the surface. Again, nothing masks relational dysfunction like sexual involvement. Do you understand why God puts boundaries on sexual intimacy? Asking a couple to curtail sex for the sake of the relationship rarely makes sense in the moment. Those who comply thank us later. And only 7% call off the wedding. Sex is physical, but it's more than physical. Your sexual experiences affect your capacity for intimacy. Sexual purity isn't an idea whose time has come and gone. Sexual purity is a strategy. It's an investment in your happiness and happiness of your future partner. Why? Because purity now paves the way to intimacy later. A single woman was asked, has sex as a single woman made you, made your life better or more complicated? She didn't say better. She said complicated. Definitely complicated. She was then asked if God is a heavenly father who loves you and wants the best for you and he knows sex apart from marriage will complicate your life. What would you expect him to say about it? You see, God doesn't want to complicate your life. He doesn't. And Jesus associated sex, sexual intimacy, with permanence when a man and woman get married and form a family unit. According to Jesus in Matthew 19, 5 and 6, he says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined, talking about sexual intimacy, with his wife, and the two are united as one. And since they're no longer two but one, let nobody split apart what God has joined together. That's the gift of sexual intimacy that God gives to a married couple. You see, when it's kept in those boundaries of a married couple, a married relationship, it breeds permanence. Many years ago, Paul writes on how God communicated some good news to some people who had not kept sex special. In 1 Corinthians six eleven, he says, Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Sin will keep you out of heaven, friend. So those that messed up sexually, sinned sexually, God gives a final word in verse 11. Check this out. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, and you were made right with God by calling on the name 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you notice it says were? You're no longer that way. You don't live like that any longer. Why? Because they're modeling, they're imitating Christ. First of all, they were cleansed, they were made clean. Second, you were made holy, you were set apart for special purposes. Third, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Aren't you glad for that? You were made right with God? Not what you did, it's what Jesus did for you. That's what I was, and this is what I am, by the grace of God. Number four, be thankful. Verse 4b, instead let there be thankfulness. What's that about? What Paul is saying is when you keep sexual intimacy in the boundaries that God has established, when you come together as husband and wife and you are being sexually intimate, send God a thank you note for that gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what he's saying. It's a gift from God. It's a gift. Lord, you created this gift. Thank you. Thank you. Number five, no excuses allowed. Verses five through seven. Check this out. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's heaven, by the way. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Can I tell you something, friend? Our culture today is finding all kinds of excuses why you should ignore what God says. Paul says, don't believe it. Don't listen to him. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. And verse 7, don't participate in the things these people do. What Paul is saying is, No practicing sinner will have eternal life. That's why we need to go to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness and say, Jesus, you know what's best for me. I'm going to follow what your word says. Aren't you glad Ephesians 5, 1 through 7 is in your Bible? Huh? It gives you wisdom. It gives you insight on how you can live your life to imitate your heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for these verses that are in the Bible. They're not there for us to cut out and ignore and say, ah, I'm not going to do that. No, that's in there for our best interest. Why? Because you love us so much, Lord. I pray for every person in this room this morning that we would truly imitate God in everything we do because we're your dear children. Lord, will you help us do that? Will you help us model Jesus in everything we do? In our dating life, in our thought life, in our marriage, in our singleness, Lord, will you help us do it because you love us so much? 
Forgive us, Lord, if we have allowed the matador, the murderer, to wrap itself around us spiritually, to distract us from truly following you wholeheartedly. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the power that you give us to say no to sin and say yes to modeling Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.